Jesus, we just thank you for this day and just the reminders of just how you can restore anything, God. When we look out the window and we see the leaves are changing and feel just the cool air hitting our skin, God, um, we just thank you that you just call us to have faith, God, that no matter what we're going through, what our circumstances, that you can take anything and use it for good, God. We just thank you for Joseph today and being willing to come in and step um, step in and play guitar. We pray for Sean, who got called into overtime, God, that you could just give him um, just rest and peace, God, um, as he transitions into this new, new role of firefighter, and pray that you be with Corinne and Pierce and Rosie as they transition as well. We just pray over our services today here and, and at home church, God, and that, um, that we would just have ears to hear and hearts that are open to um, whatever it is that you have for us, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right. So growing up, I had a – I would listen to these, like, cassette tapes as I went to sleep. Part of it was because, uh, you know, I don't know if this was – uh, back in you know the rugged days of the '90s, right? Uh, and I, you know, we didn't have like sound machines or anything like that. So, uh, but but going to sleep, you know, my uh, parents we'd have like a little boombox in there. Um, uh, for anybody who's younger, so so Josh, uh, a boombox was a thing that had speakers and these cassette tapes, which were these plastic things with tape in it. Okay, okay. Um, so you're the youngest person, so you get picked on. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, in this like boombox, I would, uh, you know, we'd have these little, like little tapes, and they have little kid songs in them, and they're like church songs, right? Like Christian songs, and we also had some things that were, um, it's called like Adventures in Odyssey, something like that. So there's all this little kids things uh, if you've ever heard of those. Well, there was the, there were these songs in here, and there's something that's very um, sometimes unsettling about certain kids songs that even as a kid you listen to it and you go that sounds off and I don't I don't really like it and there was a song that they had and ironically it was a song that had this almost like kind of Jamaican beat to it that would say like do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself and it was the creepiest song even as a kid I did not there was some vibe it put off and I didn't like it and it was so ironic that the whole point of the song was talking about not worrying because I was very worried when I would hear this song um, now growing up I kind of realized that was also very corny because it's clearly a rip off of Bob Marley's like don't worry be happy but they were just taking the Bible verse and it's kind of superimposing uh, it onto the song um so that being said, I don't know if maybe the song achieved its desired end goal because it was so unsettling. I was like, I need to go read like the actual Bible thing that this comes from because I don't like this song. So I went and I uh, looked it up. And this is something where, again, it's kind of one of these verses where like we've maybe seen, be- seen bits and pieces of these verses before, but – very rarely do I feel like we go back and actually look at the whole context of the thing. So when you go to Matthew chapter 6, uh, you read this starting in verse 25. So Matthew 6 says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. Don't they sow or reap or gather into barns? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or 
spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's a lot of little verses in there that a lot of times people will, you know, kind of kind of take and everything because there's a lot of a lot of good things that you can kind of, you know, the what I call like the coffee mug verses, the things you can kind of print on a coffee mug and it's a good thing to keep with you throughout the day. Uh, but you know, it's almost it's, it's some of these things are, are so convenient or they're so easy to kind of like throw out there and carry with us that they, it kind of loses its punch sometimes. And one of the things that I think is is makes this whole thing a little bit more impactful is there in the 25th verse at the very, very beginning of what I just read you, it ends by saying, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, that's one of those things where a lot of Christians seem to kind of like lose the, you know, to use the Navyism, like they kind of lose the bubble a little bit. You know, they, they, they kind of get off track in understanding what life is all about. And because they lose track of what life is all about or they get so wrapped up in the things that the world wants to tell you life is all about, then there's a lot of things to worry about. There's a lot of things to be upset about. When you think about it, Worry is really just a symptom of our dependency on worldly things that can't be assured. That's really what worry is if you break it down. Every worry that you have is based on the fact that there's something that you crave or something you need or something you think you need that you're worried that there might be some consequence of you not getting or achieving this thing and that causes you worry, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, you know, we worry about things like jobs, right? Well, why is it that you worry about the job? You don't worry about the job because you're like, man, I love, I am so fulfilled by going into that cubicle every single day. Like, it's really, you love, you know, you, you, you worry about occupation and jobs and whatnot because it's income, right? I mean, that, that's what you care, you care about. And, you know, and then there's also kind of a sense of calling. That could be another thing. Well, you know, you, you, you worry about this thing that I have, this thing I think gives me, gives me uh, value, that gives me kind of, you know, a sense of purpose and meaning in everything. And I worry that if I don't have this, this thing, this opportunity, that it'll all go away. Um, you know, so people uh, become dependent on their, their wealth, the things that they have, you know, worrying that they're going to uh, always think about. Uh, people around um, Black Friday, mainly because it's as soon as you hit spooky season, in my mind, from now until January is one giant holiday season. So I'm thinking about all of them all together. And I've already seen uh, not ads for Black Friday. I've seen kind of the opposite. People saying I'm not doing Black Friday, which is awesome. But, uh, you know, when you when you think of that period of time, people – I, you know, I know people who get a, a severe amount of anxiety about like missing out on certain sales on certain things. I think, oh my god, I don't know how I'm going to make Christmas happen if I can't get the Black Friday sales and all that. And you kind of look and go, okay, but like th- this shouldn't be on the peak of your worry meter. Like, like I get it, but it shouldn't be at the very top, you know, because there's there's other things. There's more important things that you can worry about. Um, you know, a sense of dependence on approval. I mean, I think this is the thing that that's kind of the easiest. When you think about what a lot of people worry about, they worry about that sense of acceptance or that sense of approval that they're going to get from other people, that people will think that, you know, whatever they're doing is good enough. And it causes them a lot of, you know, kind of significant anxiety. So the thing is, is that, you know, you can see through all these different examples that, 
our tendency to worry about things, to get this feeling of anxiety, to kind of be burdened of the soul, oftentimes is tied to the fact that we feel some sort of tie and connection to the things of this world that you know we think we need. And in the most practical sense, some of that is not totally unfounded. You know, so I mean, I tend to look at you know the Bible and theology and everything, and I try to look at it in as as practical of a way as I believe the scriptures permit us to. And the thing is, is there are some things you know that if you want to be very like academic about your faith, you can sit here and say, no, you shouldn't care about anything of of the world at all, and you shouldn't. Uh, uh, you know, any kind of worldly possessions and all that should be totally, you know, not not in your mind. Um, but at the same time, then you got to square that against the thing Solomon says when he says my favorite verse. When he says, uh, "What well, more is there for a man to do than to eat, drink, and enjoy his toil?" So clearly, like your physical things matter some, somewhat, a little bit, right? It's that those shouldn't be at the peak of our hierarchy of concerns, you know? So, yeah, be worried about the fact that your kid's coughing real bad. You know, that that's why Ezra and Phoebe aren't here, because they've had some gunk, right? And, um, you know, Phoebe is uh, Phoebe's a big girl. She takes care of herself, right? She, she's a big girl at the age of three. Uh, but, um, you know, Ezra, when you hear him, it's like, you know, especially when you hear, like, a baby that has congestion, it's, like, on their throat and their chest and stuff like that. And it just, even if like the doctor goes, oh yeah, they're fine. It just sounds awful, and, and you just feel horrible for them. Um, so you worry about it, right? And and you know, but but and that's understandable. But also understanding that there's a difference between something you worry about kind of in the here and now, and something that just causes you perpetual day in and day out um, concern and anxiety. Those are two different things, and we have to be very careful not to let that sense of anxiety overcome us because when it does, it can prevent us from doing the things that God is calling us to do. Let's just take this sense of meaning and sense of purpose you know, kind, kind of under, uh, uh, under consideration. I mean, if you are in a situation where you're saying, you know, I have a lot of anxiety about the fact that I feel like – I am here to do this one thing. You know, there, there's this 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 hobby or this career or this whatever that I have to do. And so I have all this anxiety about making certain that this thing is built up as much as humanly possible. Well, what happens whenever life takes those things away? You know, I think of the uh, professional athlete as kind of the classic academic example of somebody who has built their entire life up to be about nothing but I need to be able to work and to achieve athletically in this certain kind of situation, this certain sport or this certain position and then you get out there in that one game and you tear your ACL. And then what happens to your sense of purpose? Is, has all of your worry and anxiety been for nothing? And so it leads us to conclude that the things that have to be at the, at the, the, the zenith, the, the peak of this pyramid of all of our worries and concerns needs to be founded not in the things of this earth, which can be temporary and can be taken away in a second without us having any uh, vote over, over how things pan out. Instead, it should be based on something that is more assured, that is more guaranteed, which can only really be offered by Jesus Christ. And so this is where you... You see the words here in verse 25 becoming that much more important. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, food and clothing are a part of life. Okay, go get them. Go enjoy them. You know, yeah, you know, you want that nice thing on Black Friday. Like, oh, you know, go put some effort into getting that nice thing on Black Friday and everything. But don't let that be the thing that caused you so much anxiety that you start shutting down the other things that God may be calling you to do just because you're worried about this other stuff. You know, when we start getting into subjects like worry, I think one of the reasons why I find it interesting and one of the reasons why 
I was kind of digging into this a little bit more as, you know, to focus a sermon on it was because this starts getting into something that I think a lot of people don't realize a lot of pastors really are, which is that, you know, if you go and you take a bunch of like seminary courses and everything, it's really just philosophy is really what almost all of it is. It's philosophy. It's kind of guided philosophy by your theology, but it's really philosophy. Um, And in most universities that you go to that aren't like, um, you know, a Humpty Dump whatever Bible college or something, uh, you know, you'll see the religious studies and the philosophy are actually kind of tapped in together. One of the things that's interesting is as you go in and you start studying the um, uh, start studying the the individuals who wrote the Bible and how they wrote the Bible and the styles they used to wrote the Bible, there's a lot of these these elements of philosophy that are kind of sprinkled among them and kind of understanding at least just just a piece of that philosophy helps us to kind of understand a little bit what they were thinking or what was going through their mind because they lived in a very um, kind of uh, Hellenistically driven world. Uh, and there was a lot of cross-pollination of what these different philosophers were thinking at the time. And one of the things that I wanted to connect this to was this type of philosophy that you may have heard people talk about before that's called uh, Stoicism. You know, And it basically is just kind of looking at the world and saying this is what it is. And you know, there's an amount of kind of acceptance for what the world is and the flaws of what the world has. Um, that, that means that, you know, hey – why are you going to be so wrapped up in you know things that you can't control because you can't control them so you should just kind of move forward and that's kind of this idea of stoicism so there's an individual that whenever there's few individuals that when people talk about stoicism that uh, people like to quote but one of them is Seneca and this is kind of the end of where it gets very academic so don't worry um, I'm about to quote some bad rap lyrics so it gets better um, but when you um, uh, when you study this kind of stoicism, a lot of times you end up uh, talking about an individual named Seneca. And Seneca, uh, again, was a famous uh, Stoic philosopher, and he had this to say. And what I want you to do is think about what we just read there in the New Testament, and then hear what Seneca is talking about right here about our sense of anxiety, our sense of worry. True happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future, not to amuse ourselves with either hopes or fears, but to rest satisfied. For he that is, for he that, that is once not, nothing. The greatest blessing of mankind are within us and within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whatever it may be, without wishing for what he has not. Now, there's a number of things in there that don't square really well with a lot of the stuff that Christ says. There's a lot of things about saying the greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. Uh, and what we understand is that, you know, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. We can point to many, many different individuals who uh, ended up having kind of tragic life stories and everything. And, you know, it'd be hard, you'd be hard pressed to say, like, well, the reason why that tragic thing happened to that individual is they just didn't believe in themselves enough. You know, this isn't like prosperity gospel kind of stuff here. But there is a shred of truth to what he says here when he talks about the fact that there really isn't any purpose in being so anxious over what the future is because the reality is that that's something that is not assured it's something that's you know as the phrase goes it's one in the hand is worth two in the bush you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow and what we read from a godly perspective is that what christ is basically saying is that the only individual on like in creation who has any concept of what's going to happen tomorrow what our future is going to entail is going to be god himself himself. And God takes care of everything around us. He has a plan. Do you not have faith that he has a plan? He's going to take care of things. And if that's the case, there's nothing that you can do about tomorrow in and of themselves. So instead, just focus on the present. And when we start talking about the present, this isn't talking about being hedonistic or anything like that, but it is saying focus on where God has placed you now.
this is one of the reasons why I get so anxious whenever people get very wrapped up in a lot of this end times theology, gospel, preaching, whatever about like, oh, clearly we can see the sign of the beast and what's going on in the media. And you can see the the horsemen have been, you know, of revelation have been unleashed on creation and all this. And I always look at that and go, why do you care are, by you somehow divining what's going on in the world? Is that going to somehow glorify God better that you have achieved this worldly knowledge? Because that feels an awful lot like in the Garden of Eden, like God saying, hey, there's this this tree of knowledge, but you don't need it because you got me. Like you got me, so you don't need the tree of knowledge. And then we go like, yeah, but I got to have the knowledge and we go get the apple and then sin, right? It sounds an awful lot like that. But yet you do have this sect of Christianity that gets very wrapped up in somehow knowing about whether we are or are not in the end times right now. And really it seems to completely fly in the face of exactly what Jesus Christ is saying right here, which is stop worrying about it. I've called you to a place here and now. You are here right now. I have put things within your grasp and everything. So instead, dwell where I have placed you and work where I have put you. That is a much more noble thing than than trying to somehow gain some kind of knowledge that really is only owed to God himself. Even if we want to get off of the subject of, you know, the the end times uh, gospel and whatnot, I mean, just think about from a very pragmatic perspective. Once you sit here and learn to be content, there's a kind of a freeing effect that you have where you can say, if I'm not so worried about what's going to happen five steps away from where I am right now and 10 steps and 20 steps away from where I am, then it allows me a sense of clarity to be able to think about where I am right now. And just as we prayed about in the very beginning and kicking off this service, what we are all after is for God to be able to reveal himself to us and us to be able to recognize where he's working in our lives. It's very difficult to know where God is working in your life today if we're constantly worried about the things that God may or may not do 20 steps in front of us. So there is some virtue in thinking about where we are today. It's where we get to this magic word, contentment. There is a level of contentment that we should all be after. Here's my bad rap lyrics. You know, there's a uh, there's an individual that is a he's this guy who grew up like in a trailer park in Ohio, uh, and he has these uh, songs that a lot of them are goofy, um, but you know are different uh, kind of R and B songs that he recorded with Toby Mac. And so he's an individual, John Rubin. I know I've talked about him before, but he has this one song that he does with uh, that he actually does with Toby Mac and some other guys. That's called "All I Have," and the whole song is fantastic. And honestly, I would have played a piece of it if I didn't think that the stream would get taken down for copyright stuff. Um, but instead, I'll just read to you, not wrap it. I'll just read to you this little uh, section that comes out of one of the verses, and I think this is really enlightening because it, it, it just it connects so realistically with the this sense of contentment that we're all called to have in the world fighting against it. We're not taught trial or error. We're not taught, nor are we prepared. So we fail against everyday opponents. All the while, we're still living for glorious moments. And the media feeds the youth a false reality of what it takes to make yourself happy. And since they've got about a one in a million shot, why try and make them think that it's something that it's not? This ain't a movie. This is real life. The spotlight don't shine quite as bright as some might like. But that's all right, because the starlight at night is more of a highlight than the high life. The air I consume from the breath of creation renews my soul every day I awaken. Oh man, tell me who knew that simply being content was the dream come true. Now, hearing that, I want to go into something that we, we see in the Bible. So think about that sense of contentment and that sense of 
being able to push away all the things the world wants to shove at you and just the idea that I can be content with where I am and with what God has given me no matter what my lot in life is. So in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, we read this. Paul writes, I I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renew your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. What I love so much about this is this picture of the fact that Christ enables us to be able to do all things, but there, there's, there's this connection of being able to do things based on a contentment of where you are right now. How many individuals do you see who are utterly paralyzed by their circumstances that have this sense of worry about where they are, where they think they might be headed, and because of that, they just seem like they're in a rut and they can't get out of it. They're stuck. And you hate to go up to any individual like this. It would be completely unhelpful to do this. But a party almost wants to look at him and say, like, maybe sometimes, like, the attitude of get over it is is the correct response. I mean, maybe sometimes there is an attitude adjustment that needs to take place to allow us to be able to get over whatever is holding us back. And the greatest obstacle that we have isn't that person we think is standing against us. It's not society trying to keep us down. It's not the media. It's not a politician. It's not any of that. It's us. And it's our sorry attitudes that's keeping us from being able to achieve not what we want to do, but what God has called us to do. And so what you have is you have Paul's sitting here living out what you know, the John Rubin artist in a much, much, you know, more modern, less intense way is saying the real key to being able to do anything that you feel called to do is to have this sense of contentment, to not be held back by the limitations of what the world has identified, but to be enabled by the power of what God promises. That's what you're truly after. And once we learn to prioritize the fact that God has a promise over the fact that the world has limitations, it's amazing what we can accomplish. There is this this misunderstanding I think a lot of people have when they, they hear this verse, this famous like Philippians 4.13 verse of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, where they want to treat this like this is something about what they can do. They want to treat this like I can do all things. You know, I even myself have like a workout shirt that says I can do all things and then on the back it says through Christ. And it's cool. I like the shirt. I also got it when a store was closing down and everything was 75% off, so I got it. Uh, but, you know, I, I've seen that verse taken so many times and applied to, uh, like, athletes. You know, especially when you follow. I've, I've made comments before about how much I'm into college sports. And uh, you see athletes do it all the time where they talk about, like, I'm going to sit here and be able to go to the school. I'm going to be able to win this game. And they'll, sometimes they'll drop this verse in there and say, I can do all things through Christ. And I look at that and go, like, maybe, maybe. I don't know how God's speaking to you, but I don't know that God's divine plan for the universe is dependent on you beating Florida State. Um, maybe it is, but I don't know. Uh, but that's not what this is about. This isn't about saying you can do all things uh, in your career. You can do all things athletically. You can do all things uh, financially. This is about saying you can do all things through Christ. And with that, it's, it's the things that God has willed. It's the things that God has planned for us. So you can see your sense of security. It's not in the fact that I, I feel like I have something I'm interested in or I feel like I have something that I'm talented at or something like that. 
your, your strength and your security is found in Christ. And so when we talk about this attitude realignment that we have to have off of what we want to do and off of what we want to see the world uh, uh, be, able to, be able to accomplish and off the direction that we want to head with our lives and instead are able to focus on what is the promise that God has given us? What is the calling that God has placed on our hearts? Where do we feel that God is opening up doors for us to be able to work? Then all of a sudden that we are able to feel the exact same thing that Paul was feeling right here, despite the fact that he writes this, that as he is oppressed, as he is hunted, as he is imprisoned, you know, he is able to still look at his circumstances and say, whether I have much as I have had in my life in the past or whether I have very little as I have right now in my life, I am able to do anything that God has called me to do. And because of this, you can see the sense of contentment that he has in his life saying, regardless of what is happening to me physically, medically, emotionally, I know that I have this sense of security. I do not have a sense of worry about my life because I know that through Christ and the things that he has called me to do, I can do all things because if God has willed it, then what can the world do to stand against it? That's the true secret of being content, is to understand that if our, our sense of purpose, if our sense of desire, if our, our drive is focused on the things that God has called us to do, then we have the knowledge of knowing that God will see his plan come to fruition. And if that is what I find my fulfillment in, then what is there to be worried about? What is there to be anxious about? There will always be little bits and pieces of things going on in my own ministry life and things about this church and whatnot that I worry about. You know, I always sit here and worry about if the right cables show up at the right time. You know, I worry about if there's a mistake with the technology or something happens with the building. There's always going to be little tiny worries. But the one thing that when it comes to our calling as a church that I, I do not have any worry about is the fact that individuals will be touched for Christ. The individuals who maybe have felt like they were pushed off to the side or that they didn't have something that spoke to them or that they somehow felt othered or on the outskirts of whatever community group that they were a part of will somehow know that there is a Christ and that that Christ does love them. And whether they come to that Christ or not is kind of between them and God. But they will have that opportunity and that their their hearts will be touched and that their lives will be touched. And I don't worry about that sense of calling because that is something that we have conviction is is something that God has called us to do. And as a result of that, if that's the case, then I don't care if there's a hundred people in a service or if there's two people in a service. God's will will be done regardless of what metrics of success or security or stability that we end up seeing in and of ourselves. And so that becomes the ultimate challenge in our lives. When you think about the things that truly worry you, what is the metric of success that you're after? What is the magic number of something that you can have or you can be guaranteed that's going to make you not worry anymore? What's the amount of money that you can have in your retirement account or what's the amount of acreage that you can own or what's the amount of, of people you can have in your, your, your business or your club or your group or what's the amount of acceptance and popularity you can have, number of Facebook friends you can have where you're going to go like, you know what? I'm no longer worried. I'm no longer concerned. I've achieved what I think I need to achieve. The world never actually promises contentment. It may promise per perceptions of being content. It may give you the perception of being successful, being fulfilled. But the phrase that we continue to use over and over and over again in this series is that there exists within the DNA of mankind a God-shaped hole in the hearts of all mankind. And so what is it that you're going to be able to fill that hole with that is going to make you feel truly content? What is going to keep you from worrying about whether I have enough time in the week 
or worried about the fact that you're going to be able to pay that next bill? Is it going to be that, you know, I suddenly got a big check in the mail? Is it going to be that somehow we magically extended the week by a few more hours and now I don't worry anymore that I can do everything with the kids and in my own house? No, the only thing that will never fail us is the promise that Jesus Christ has placed on our hearts. The promise of a calling, the promise of a purpose, and the promise of grace. That will never fail. And so long as our sense of fulfillment and security and contentment is founded in those things, then all the other worries are just temporary emotions and feelings that we can deal with. But they won't hold us back from what we're truly called to do. You know, there's a, there's a popular phrase that I've heard people say in the past that is, uh, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. And whenever I hear this, you know, I, I, I think of two things. I think of going to a youth camp where one of the things that they did, it's a really cool, uh, really cool experience. They actually got a, uh, a bunch of plywood, back before plywood cost a billion dollars. Uh, they got a bunch of plywood and put it up and they wrote a bunch of phrases on there. Some of them were founded in scripture and some of them were just kind of popular phrases. And they said, so we're going to give you different color stickers. And if you think it's a scriptural phrase, once you put one color, if you think it's not a scriptural phrase, put a different color on it. And it was funny how many people saw this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, and said, you know, yep, it's a biblical phrase. You know, ironically, a lot of the individuals, as I'm standing back and kind of watching the youth do it, a lot of the people who seemed like they were the most gung-ho and had all the Jesus shirts and everything were like, yeah, that's a Jesus phrase. That's, that's, that's good. But, you know, when I see that, I think of the second thing that normally comes to mind, which is I wonder if when some of the early Christians were being hunted down and they were being, being you know, taken from their homes and their families – and sewn up in animal skins and then thrown out in the sun so that the animal skin could slowly crush them. I wonder if during that period of time they thought, you know, God won't give me more than I can handle. I can handle this. When we say here and we read Matthew 24, verses 9 through 12, this is what we read Christ himself say. Then they will hand you over to be prosecuted and then they will kill you. They will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply, and the love of many will grow cold. So as we sit here and read what Christ himself says, he points out the fact that the world is going to fail you. You know, if you're if you're going to sit here and orient your life towards your circumstances, or you know, people in due circumstances, economically in due circumstances, you're going to be disappointed. The promise of Christ was never that the circumstances will be great. And if that's the case, then, I mean, you can kind of transpose this into our very American way of thinking and think that Christ is looking at and saying, I'm not going to remove all the things in your life that right now you're worried about. Like, I might, you know, uh, maybe. None of us know truly what the will of God and the plan of God is. But, you know, that thing that supremely concerns you might not be taken away from you. That thing that you're dealing with, that, that, that difficult fiscal situation that you're in might not go away of it on its own you know that that medical thing that you're struggling with may not just poof you know disappear what he is looking at is saying but i have something better for you i have something that you can trust on it's not the things of the world because the world will come and try to attack you i mean if nothing else you know satan would love for us to sit here and think that god's just going to magically make everything all better in our lives in the here and now as we currently live our lives and that that's what it's supposed to be all about. 
just so that he could take everything away and say, all right, let's see how strong your faith truly is. Satan would love to do that. What Christ looks at it and says, I offer you a better way. I offer you a glimpse of glory that's not going to be temporary like everything on this earth is going to be, but that's going to be eternal. That's what I'm offering you. And so if you orient your life towards those things, then suddenly you'll start saying that there isn't anything to have this sense of existential dread over. There's no reason to be kept up at night and to be you know, losing your hair. Don't laugh. There, there's no reason to you know, be... Uh, you know, distracted by what I've called you to do just because you're worried about things that are going to continue happening. The world is not going to magically become less flawed overnight. And so you have to find your faith and your sense of security in something that goes beyond whatever you're seeing, touching, and feeling. It has to be based on something that you believe in. It has to be something that you have faith in. And that something is Jesus Christ. The last scripture that I had in here that I wanted to bring up was in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. We read Paul say this, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The, the key to contentment is not in having whatever ails you or whatever is concerning you in the here and now in this earth magically go away. Even though when that happens, it's great. It's awesome. It's, it's absolutely the easiest way to, to get rid of your worry. But that's not the point. The point, as we see revealed through the life and the testimony of Jesus Christ and the apostles who continued preaching after he rose to heaven, is this. That sometimes we just need to get over ourselves. Sometimes we need to have a change of perspective, and that really is the key. We can read all the self-help books we want. We can get on all the financial plans that we want to get on, and we can sit here and you know, collect all the things and hobbies and all that kind of stuff we want that we think is going to make us happy. But at the end of the day, none of those things are going to be the key to leading to a content life. It's going to be understanding that there is something that is unseen that we live for. That there is something that goes beyond the physical realm that truly gives us a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning and a sense of calling. And so the objective is not to sit here and, you know, get rid of all the different worldly things that are causing us to worry. So much as it is to understand that we no longer live for our worldly conditions. What we live for is for something that's greater and something that goes beyond. When we learn to do that, we can stop living for our worldly conditions and we can start living despite our worldly conditions. That's what Paul learned. That's what it means to be content. And if we want to be able to get over whatever's causing us worry, whatever's causing us anxiety, then it's going to require us to learn how to achieve that level of commitment. We will only do that through drawing closer and stronger in our faith with Jesus Christ. That's the key to our worry and our anxiety. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a world today that, that offers us so many things that we, we could be distracted by. We live in a world that wants to sit here and tell us that if we can just achieve enough or if we can just get enough accolades and awards, if we can just uh, acquire enough things or, or have, find the right hobby, that somehow we'll suddenly be fulfilled and we'll have everything our heart desires. Help us to be able to see through the, the, the deception that the world wants to throw in our direction and, and understand that 
you are the only thing that will truly lead to a life of contentment. That you are the only thing that will lead to us being able to live beyond our circumstances and instead being able to live for something that is eternal, something that is glorious, something that 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 you have already achieved, a, a victory that you've already won and that you've already promised for us. It is so hard to be able to look past the things that we feel, the things that we can sense, you know, the, the things that we experience with, with other people, with family members, with strangers. It can be so hard to look past that and to be able to live for something that is unseen. And so, God, we ask for forgiveness when we have moments of weakness. Forgive us when we get distracted and we... We fail to do the things that you've called us to do. We choose to do the things that are wrong because we feel like it's going to give us that, that momentary respite from whatever is causing us all of this worry and anxiety. And God, also help us to have the strength, help us to have the discipline and the discernment to be able to, to flee those things that want to distract us and instead to cling to you, to cling to your purpose and to your calling that you place in our lives. God, just help us to be better. Help us to be better followers of you. Help us to be better followers of your word and help us to be better reflections of who you are. Somebody who's not supremely focused and consumed by ourselves, but instead is burdened and convicted and driven by our desire to love and to help others. God, we love you and we want to be more like you. We pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.